You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Hey, we've been in a series called It Will Be Different. And let me, if this is your first week with us, you missed a couple, I want to encourage you to check it out on our podcast. But we've been talking about our, our culture, our heart as Renovation Church, about who we are. What does it mean to be the church? What is this posture that we're supposed to take up? And uh, we're, we're taking this, this whole series from that passage in Matthew 20 where Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, the religious leaders, they, they take their authority, they, they rule it over other people, they lord it over them. But as for you... As for us, as followers of Jesus, it will be different, that the greatest in the kingdom is actually the least. That if we want to be great, then we actually have to humble ourselves and to walk with the posture of a servant. And so we, we talked about, first week we talked about why. Why be a servant? And the answer was Jesus, right? It's always Jesus in church is the answer, right? We, we looked at the example of Jesus and then how do we do that? Um, like what does a servant look like? Last week we talked about Jesus again. Um, and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And so this week, uh, as we begin to unpack it, um, it's like, how do, we, how do we do this for the long haul? Because this isn't just like a moment thing, but how do we, as followers of Jesus, live a life that reflects this day in and day out for the longevity, not just a, a spurt here or there, but over the course of our life? Um, but if you think about it, if you were to define, like, what, it, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Like, how, how would you characterize someone, if you were to look at them and assess them, like, how would you say whether or not someone is a follower of Jesus? Yes, it is a, a belief. Um, we, we know this. It's a belief in who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that he lived a perfect life, that he was born of a virgin, that he willingly laid down his life, that he was crucified, that on the third day he rose from death, rose from the grave with the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and that anyone that believes in him and makes him Lord and Savior, will have eternal life. Like, we, we understand that. But I think that the connection point is not just when we believe it, but actually when we live a life that reflects that. Um, I, I heard this, uh, this story uh, last month in March. There was a 65-year-old woman who, um, her car broke down the year before, but she didn't have enough money to repair it. And so in Michigan, every day, she walked three miles to work and three miles back home. Like in the snow, that's like, y'all, it's cold here. I know we're Southerners, but like in Michigan, they have this stuff called snow and uh, it's cold and there's lots of it. And so three miles every single day. And so one day she's on her way home from work. She stops at a gas station to get a snack and she notices a small white bag on the ground and she opens it up and to her surprise is almost $15,000 in cash just sitting there. Now, most of you are like, the Lord provides, right? <laughs> See? I mean, this is, this is, thank you, Lord. It's like manna. I'm just going to collect it, put it in my pocket, right? But what does she do? She calls the police. And she says, hey, I found this money. It doesn't belong to me. And they're like, do what? <laughs> You're actually reporting this? And so they come and they, they, they go through this and there was actually some cards in the back of it and it was a young couple that had just gotten married that this was their collective wedding present. And so they, they called the, uh, the, the people and they, they were able to return the money back to her and the, the police officer who did this gets home and the wife's like, so what did you do for the lady? And he's like, nothing. Like, 
What, what could I do? And so out of compassion in this officer's wife's heart, she starts a GoFundMe and raised $63,000 for this woman. She goes out and buys a brand new Jeep, um, taxes, tags, everything. And says, are, are you, how excited are you now? Like, what are you gonna do? And her response is, now I can give the other ladies at work who have to walk to work a ride home. I'm like, gosh, what am I doing with my life, right? You know, it's like, but it's like, man, how, how beautiful when we return back to the owner what rightfully belongs to them. And as followers of Jesus, when we have the posture of my life doesn't belong to me, God, I'm going to trust it in your hands and in your way, the beautiful thing that results because of that. And so what does a servant look like? How do we, you know, Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, you need to pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. You need to, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So here's our, our first point is this. One, is that you can love people and not love God, but it's impossible to love God and not love people. All right, some of you introverts, you're like, this is enough peopling for you for the day, right? Maybe for the week, you're gonna go home and you're like, ah, it's people. But think about it. I have met some awesome, wonderful people who don't know Jesus and who love people well. And you can do that. You can love people and not love God, but on the flip side, if you say you truly love God, then as a byproduct of that, as a result of the love that you have from God, we have to love other people. There's no way around it. Like even when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the greatest commandment? He, he summarizes it. He says, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your strength, right? They, they knew that. He says, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the, the, you, can't, you can't divide the two. They're, they're not separable. They're, they're inseparable. They're, they're together that we have to love the Lord. And as a result of loving God, that we're going to love people. So if you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1. If you don't have it, it'll be on the screen or if you can click there on your phones. If you brought a scroll, feel free to unroll it today. Um, but we're going to, uh, I, I love this account in scripture because this to me shows what being a servant looks like. Um, it, 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 like this is an incredible, incredible example of what it means to serve other people. So uh, Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1 after I take a sip. Now verse one. It says, when Jesus had returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. And soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralytic man on a mat. Now, uh, I, don't quote me on this. This may or may not be one of the first quoted uh, examples of rednecks in the Bible. So we're going to see that in a second. If there was duct tape, that may have been in the passage. I'm just saying. Um, so they bring this man who could not walk, this paralyzed man who had been paralyzed probably his whole life for a long portion of his life. These four men bring him to Jesus. And here's what happens. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they gave up and went home. No. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. Now that's awesome. I'm just going to say it. 
Like if you came to my house and you dug a hole, I'd be mad. But here, these four men who are like, hey, here's the most important thing. Our friend needs Jesus. We, we hear there's this, this, this guy who's, who's teaching, who's declaring the good news of, of his kingdom coming. We think he's the long awaited Messiah. And people are coming to him who are sick. And when they walk away, they're not sick anymore. There's people who, who come and see him and they're, well, they don't see him because they're blind, but when they walk away, they're able to see him. And so these four men, they get together, hey, look, we need to get our friend to Jesus. And, and what I love is that everywhere you go, there was a crowd around Jesus because people wanted to be around Jesus, not just the religious people. Our lives should look like that. If people are like, ugh, they're here there's a problem. The problem's you. Okay. We should be like this, right? So there's, um, so they lower him down. They don't just stop. It's not just, hey, we can't get through. They go up on top of the roof. They dismantle the roof. They pull off layers of thatch or clay and they, they, they like a, form this winch system and they lower this guy down right in the middle of Jesus giving his message, t- teaching people and they were like, sorry, we're not going to wait our turn, right? Right down in front of Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. I love this. Verse 8. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed. And praise God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. That's awesome, right? We, we would love for our story of our life to look something like that. To have moments where we're like, we did something and we, we were a part of someone's Jesus story. We were a part of someone coming and meeting Jesus and their eternity changed. Like, we, we want that. Now, we don't see it in the text, but I, I highly doubt that this guy was just like, hey guys, can someone like, tell me how to have everlasting life? Can someone please explain to me the, the meaning of why I'm on earth? Can someone please bring me to Jesus so I can hear for myself? No, more than likely, it was these four friends who loved this man enough and said, hey, we're going to do something for you. Now, social connotation at the time was that the man who was paralyzed was a sinner. Because of his sins, because of his parents' sin, there was a social connotation that, that um, disfiguring, that um, affliction, affirmity was a sign of being cursed by God. And so there's this stigma of this, of this man who's, who's grown up being looked down to, who's, who's gone through life being rejected by everyone else, and these four men stop and love him enough to do what he needs to bring him to the feet of Jesus. Now, what I also love in this is that these four men are unnamed. 
because it wasn't for their own credit, it wasn't for their own glory, but it was for God's glory and for the good of this man. That, that to me is, is what a servant, a servant is somebody who, who works hard, who, who doesn't just stop at the first sign of an obstacle, who loves people willingly enough to not be like, hey, make sure you write my name down in the story. When you guys go to retell this, it's Matt. That's with two T's, okay? Write it down. Like, no, like, it's just four men, four, four friends of this guy. Like, that's, that's their, their marker, but I think that's the true posture of a servant. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. If somebody meets Jesus, then that's the goal. If somebody is healed, that's the goal. Our lives, God has called us to serve the world around us, to take up the posture of a servant. So how do we do do this? One, here's the first thing that we need to remember is that grace qualifies you. The, the qualifying factor for you serving, for you loving, for you um, serving within the, the context of these four walls, uh, for you serving within the context of your family, of your, uh, your employment, wherever it may be, your, your qualifications are the grace of God, right? It's, it's, you're not smart enough, neither am I. You're not good enough. You're, you're, you didn't like have good enough parents to qualify. The qualifying thing that in order for us to be allowed to carry the mat is the grace of God. Meaning, if you've put your faith in Jesus, it's your responsibility. Like, grace is what qualifies you. Grace is what brings you into this. And I love this, that it wasn't the paralytic's faith, but Jesus himself said, it, we, we see it, Jesus looked, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man. Think about that. The faith of four men changed the eternity of this man. Now, there was, we, we don't understand, like, we're like, well, doesn't he have to confess with his mouth? Like, we don't, we don't understand, like, everything that, that happened within the context of, of of what we're reading here, but there was a revelation, obviously, in this guy's heart, realizing that this is the Son of God. But it was via these four men who laid down their life. Have you ever carried somebody? My kids are getting older, and their favorite thing is, like, if we get home late somewhere, is to pretend they're asleep in the car. Now, it's cute when they're, like, three. I got a 12-year-old. He's, like, a little man, and, like, I'm like, I'm not going to carry you anymore, dude. You're too, you're like, if I pick you up and hold you, your feet are at my ankles. Okay. So, but like the older they get, I'm like, I'm getting, my back's getting too old for this to carry you up the stairs, put you in bed. Carrying people is hard. They carried this man for a very long distance. Now, grace isn't our band-aid to keep sinning. We understand what grace is. But we need to remember that we are not qualified based on what we did, or we are not disqualified by what we did. We are qualified by what Jesus did. And when we understand that if we've confessed our sins, that he has forgiven us, that he has given us a new life, that is your qualification. It doesn't matter what you did. You're called to serve. It doesn't matter what you don't have. You're called to serve. It doesn't matter that you, you don't have everything or, or figure it all out. It, it doesn't matter that, that your past does not define you. If your past doesn't define your eternity, then why in the world would you believe the lie that your past defines your, your limited time on planet Earth? 
when we get to heaven, we don't get to help bring people to Jesus. From the moment you breathe your first to your last, that's when you get to do it. That's when we get to do it. And so if you can trust God with your eternity, you can certainly trust him with your daily life. We can trust him and say, hey, you know what, God? I, I don't have this figured out. But we, if we've been called and saved, that we have a responsibility to carry a corner of the mat. We have a responsibility to do it, that we can do more together. The second thing is that the Spirit empowers you. Like, um, be honest, okay? How many of you guys are, when it comes to phone battery, like at 50%, you start getting nervous? This is, this is church, be honest. When you're at 50%, you start getting nervous, okay? Where's our 40% people? 40%? 30%? Y'all are just yellow. All right, 20%. That's when it turns red. All right, 20%. Okay, where are the five percenters? Mm. Oh. You guys stress me out. You're the, okay, who will, who will use it right up until it just turns black? Oh, we need to pray for you people. My wife is one of them, she'll admit it. She'll be sending the text while it's like, I'm like put it on a charger for the love. It can wait or just, you know, walk to a charger and do it. It's like, oh, it died. I'm like, really? It gave you like four hours notice, you know? <laughs> it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> Stress me out, right? We, we all, there's actually low battery uh, anxiety. Like it's a, th I, there's a thing for everything, I know. But there's like, there's people who like will turn, turn around and go home if their like phone battery is not charged enough. Right, we, we all doubt, like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it to the day. I was like on a lot of phone calls, I was texting a lot. I'd like, if I don't have a charger at my desk or in my car, it's probably gonna die, right? I'm not even gonna GPS at home, I'm just gonna hope for the best and you know, whatever. Now, if you go plug in, let's say your iron, how many of you have ever worried, I hope there's enough electricity to power the iron? No one, right? Because we're like, somebody smarter than us probably put this plug in and hopefully I plug it in and it works. We, we doubt whether or not we have enough when it's disconnected, but when something's plugged in, it's, 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 this is, I know, common sense, but when something's plugged into the wall, you're like, well, this is gonna work because it's plugged in. The way that you and I operate in our daily lives of following Jesus is by being connected to him, not by being disconnected. Jesus, that was perfect timing. I love that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, John 15, I'm gonna read from the New American Standard Version. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Your battery will die. You don't have enough smarts. You don't have any kind of power on your own. We don't. We're, we're humans. We, we have no power. We have no authority. Anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch that dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Right? You've been saved. Guess what? You're on the team. You're qualified. Guess what? When you got saved, you were given the Holy Spirit. Guess what? You have power. 
That's where your power comes from. The, the ability to say the right words. One of the most encouraging things when I first started ministry is, is knowing that the Holy Spirit gives us the words. And I was like, that's awesome, because I have none. I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, the, the Lord loves people more than you do. The Lord loves you more than you love you, and that's a lot. But the Holy Spirit empowers us to love people, empowers us with words of encouragement. He empowers us to, to love people, to serve people, whether it's in the context of the church or not. You may feel unequipped to share the gospel. Has Jesus changed your life? You're equipped. Just talk about your story. Don't use big words that you never use in a conversation to share the gospel, right? Well, my current sanctification process is looking like, uh, no, don't be weird. Just, I mean, unless you talk like that all the time, then God bless you, we love you. But just talk about what God's done in your life. That's how you share the gospel. Here's a better way. Show it first. Live like you follow Jesus so that people will hear how you follow Jesus. You may feel unequipped to serve in an area of ministry within the church. I believe that every single person should serve in the church. Every single person. You may feel unequipped. That's great. Guess what? Because if you feel like I don't have enough, you're going to rely on the Holy Spirit's power. You may feel like you, 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 you don't have enough that you're unequipped to be used by God. Greater is he that is in you than he is that in the world. Jesus even said, Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus who, who did miracle after miracle after miracle, who, I mean, this guy who we just talked about was healed. Jesus said, hey, when I go away, you're gonna receive the Holy Spirit and you're gonna do things even greater than I did. Like, that logically doesn't make sense. Why does it make sense? Because he gave us the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is with us. We rely on the Holy Spirit's power. Yes, we have to work hard. Yes, we, we need to steward the gifts and the, the things that God has given us. Not just be lazy, but to put effort in, to put like work in. But the power comes from being connected to the vine. The power comes from being in God's word. The power comes from, from walking in obedience. The third thing is that a prerequisite for every miracle is a need. I know this is Captain Obvious here, right? But seriously, think about it. Every miracle that happened in Scripture, think, think through the memory banks here, there was always a need, right? The, the miracle of the loaves and fishes, people were hungry, right? The, the, even Old Testament, like the parting of the Red Sea, uh, water from the rock, manna in the desert, the blind receiving sight, the woman with bleeding, like every single miracle, there was first a need, right? So when things happen, right, you, you've been praying desperately for a coworker to find Jesus and they lose a parent. You showing up and loving them and encouraging them and, and cooking a meal for them, that's an opportunity. There, there's a need there, and, and when we step up and fill a need or be a part of that, we help get to be a part of the story, not for our own credit or own benefit, um, 
Like, how can we be a vessel of it? When people go through tough situations, encourage them, love them, serve them, cook them a meal, like do, do whatever you can to, to serve people, to show them the visible love of Jesus. Philip Yancey said this quote, he says, no matter how we rationalize, God will sometimes seem unfair from the perspective of a person trapped in time. Not until history has run its course will we understand all, how all things work together for good. Faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. And we, we look at the highs and lows, we, we look at the we look at tragedy, we, we look at hardship, we look at struggles and we're like, God, why? But some things only are going to make sense on the, when we get to heaven. But it's in those situations, it's in those circumstances where there's a need that we get to be a part of God even doing the miraculous. Sometimes miraculous happens through the hand of God. Sometimes the, the, the miraculous happens through God working through his people. At the end of the day, if the Lord is getting the credit and we just get to be a small little part of the story, that's what we want. So you want your, your boss to find Jesus. Some of you are like, yes. It'd make my job so much easier. Serve them well. Submit to them well. Don't bash them to your coworkers. Shine a light. And then when there's an opportunity to serve, do it. When there's an opportunity to, to encourage, like, hey, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss. I've been there. And you know, that, that season when, when I lost so-and-so was one of the hardest seasons of my life. But you know, for, for me, what, what brought me through was my faith in Jesus. And I don't know where you stand on all that, but, but for me, there was comfort knowing that one day I'll be reunited with my loved one because we have a promise that anyone who believes in Jesus will experience eternal life. So we look for opportunities. We serve. Two final thoughts. Uh, one is, there is when, I, when I started in, in ministry, um, when I started volunteering even, I was so far out of my comfort zone. Like I, I never thought I would be somebody like, like the people at church who like do stuff. Like I was just gonna go and sit in a seat and leave. And then when someone asked me to be a part of doing something, I'm like this is really weird. Like, I just never imagined myself as, as doing that. But looking back, volunteering in church changed my life. This isn't just about, hey, we need, we need diapers changed, and so we're begging people to come do it. No, no, what I'm saying is I'm standing here today because someone believed in me and asked me to serve and volunteer. And because I was willing to say yes, and because I was willing to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I've screwed up so much in my life. But if God can use maybe me, I don't know. Serving will change your life. And if you do it really well, maybe people around you will be changed in the process. Two final thoughts. One, I can't do everything, but I can do something. You cannot do everything. We, we have limited margin, we have limited time. You, you can't do everything, but everyone has to do something. I watched this really cool um, documentary movie uh, last weekend actually called, uh, if you've seen it, it's called a, 
the biggest little farm or something like that. I probably butchered it. It's, it's super cool. So it's, it's based on this, uh, this couple. He was a um, videographer. She was a chef. And they decided to buy a farm and like start this farm up. And so they, they had like 214 acres they ended up getting. It was going to start as 10. Um, if you're going to watch it, you should watch it. I'm going to ruin parts of it for you. Sorry. Um, but uh, so they, they, the basis for, for modern farming is like, hey, you, you plant one thing and you do it well. And you just, you only water those trees, you only water that crop. And they had this idea about what if we had such biodiversity that we had like tons of different varieties. So they, they grow um, almost like 50, I think it's, what is it? Uh, 74 different varieties of fruit on this smaller farm. I got a couple of pictures to show you because it's beautiful the way they did it. That's, they call that the fruit basket of their farm. 74 different varieties of fruit. And the way that it's contoured is one, to make it look beautiful because they're like farming's hard work and so you need some visual motivation every day. But two is they, they, they designed it with a contour so that when the rains come, um, it doesn't just wash away in these droves. They planted cover crop in between to, to revitalize the soil. And their whole heart was like, what if we create a farm that instead of having to like pour in tons of pesticides or everything from the outside of what if we could create a farm that was self-sustaining? So they, they built this like giant fertilizer thing where they have worms and manure and they brew tea out of it. I don't know. And they, they fertilize the plants. And it goes to this story of, of how like they started with this soil that was just like dry powder, looked devoid of every kind of nutrients to this bustling farm. They have sheep and cattle and, and ducks and chickens. And, and like they rotate them in the pastures and how like a couple days after the cows leave, the chickens come in and what the cows leave behind, the chickens love to eat and all kinds of stuff. And it was cool because every problem that popped up, like their citrus trees, there was like an infestation of snails. And it looked like, like a Hitchcock movie. It was weird. Like there was just snails covering these trees and they're out there picking five gallon buckets. And they're like, we're not going to do a, a thing with this. And then they realized uh, their ducks were being eaten by coyotes. So they're like, hey, what if we put the ducks in the citrus area? And they realized that ducks love snails. And the ducks are sitting there like gobbling them up like it's like, kid in a candy store. But I, I just watching, I was like, this place is really cool. One, it makes you instantly want to have a farm until you realize the work. And then you're like, oh, I have a job. I can't do that. But it was beautiful how like everything was intentional. They built a pond for the ducks that uses the water to fertilize and the ducks fertilize the water and the water fertilizes the plants. And they created this, this ecosystem on the farm with 200 varieties of fruits, vegetables, and things you can eat. And then they all worked together. There was nothing that was just like, oh, that's just there because it's there. Everything served a purpose. Everything worked together, not just for the benefit of itself, but to benefit the greater good. And I'm like, man, what a beautiful picture of the church. Like in, in scripture, we see this, this analogy of the body, how the, the body is made up of many parts and, and like the body isn't complete with all the parts. And that's what we're called to do. Every single follower of Jesus is called to be a part. You are the church. We are the church. And you have gifts and talents, and you have gifts and talents, and you have gifts and talents, and even you have gifts and talents. And all of us bring something different to the table. 
But if all of us come to the table with the same posture, that what I have has been entrusted to me by God Almighty, that because of grace, I'm allowed to have a place at this table. Because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I can use what he's placed in my hands for his good, not, not trying to grasp for what I can get for myself, but what can I do to love others, to share the love of Jesus with others, to build up his church. Man, when that works together, that's a beautiful thing. Even the gates of hell will not prosper against his church. when a people come together with this mentality. So everyone has a unique gifting, a unique calling and ability that God has given you. So where, where do you start with this? You're like, I've never served in church. I've never served anywhere. Like I'm just, and this isn't, like I said, this isn't just about serving within the context of here. This is a posture, an attitude we take up in our life. But how do we, how do we start where we're at? One, what's the need around you? Is there a need? Look in the book of Acts. They, they had a need. People were arguing about the distribution of bread. It's like, hey, find seven people full of spirit, full of wisdom. Have them do it. Is there a need around you? Is there a need here? If you're asking, yes, there is. There's lots of needs, always, right? Is there a need? Do I have something that I could contribute to help fill the need? Can I love kids? Can I play an instrument? Can I greet people outside? Can I make coffee? Can I scrub toilets? Can I, can I change diapers? Can I, can I share the love of Jesus? Can I encourage? Can I cook meals? What, what can I do? I can't do everything, but I have to do something. I want to be a good steward of what God has given me. He didn't give it to me for me. He gave it to me to administer his grace in its various forms. So what am I going to do with it? to find your place. I'm gonna encourage you, it seems scary. Find your place to get involved. Find your place to serve. Find a way to model a servant's heart outside of these walls. Because if you come and serve here on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whatever it may be, but then go out and don't serve anywhere, we're missing the point, right? Lastly, is that love requires risk. Think about it. The essence of love requires risk. Love in itself, you, you, you love someone, there's, there's no guarantee they, they love you back. You, you pour out all of your, like you, you love a child. There, there's no guarantee that, that they love you back. There, there has to be a choice with love. Think about that. If it's force, like you will love me, right? That's, that's not love. And the same thing is, is true with our Heavenly Father. Like he, he, he loves us, and what's beautiful is that he doesn't force it upon us. It's a choice that we have to accept his love. God is not interested in puppets or robots. God is interested in the hearts of his sons and his daughters. To love, it requires a risk. To truly love people, to serve the world around us, requires effort, requires passion, but there's... There's no guarantee of return of investment when we serve. There just isn't. But here's the beautiful thing. The results are not up to you and I. If we do our part, if we, if we serve, the results are up to me. It can be scary. I'll be honest with you. It can be 
starting out and doing something that is totally out of your normal wheelhouse seems scary and seems difficult and seems like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. But it's at the intersection when we step outside of our comfort, when we step into the calling that God has on our life. Like that's when beautiful things happen. I was thinking about this in uh, 2019, we, uh, we took a mission trip down to Peru. Um, our, our pastor, our senior pastor, he, his parents were sort of a, a part of starting ministry organizations and churches all over Central and South America. And uh, they planted this church 30 something years ago. And so we got to go back and be a part and, and um, teach them the rooted discipleship program that we do. So they do rooted in Peru now, which is super cool. But we, uh, on our last day, we got to go to a zoo in the jungle. Now we're in the middle of the Amazon jungle. You're like, it is a zoo. And we got to go uh, see animals, even hold them. And they're like, hey, do you guys want to hold an anaconda? Maybe. Okay, sure. And so we, we line up and they, they give us, and I'm standing right next to the, the, the dude who works here, who I trust, because I'm like, I'm going to stick next to him. Because if he runs, that's where I'm going to be. Um, and uh, so he's like, well, let me take your picture. And he's like, here, you hold the head. Do what? And so I, I mean, I have a, de- I have a picture of this thing. That's one snake. Yeah, you're like, mm-mm, no, 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 no. I don't know if you see this, but I'm, I am holding him with a death grip. He may not have been able to breathe for a little while because I'm like, I don't know what his teeth look like, but I know that we look like a charcuterie board to him right now, right? He could eat all of us. Um, and uh, just to call somebody out, our, our worship leader in Simpsonville, his name's Jeffrey, he hates snakes. It's really, hey, come, come hold the snakes. They know. Like, you have to do it. You have to do it. So this is, this is, we finally convinced him. It's one finger on the snake. He's like, I'm going to stand back here and do this. I'm just, I don't know. It's, I mean, it was terrifying. I'll be honest with you. And I'm like, I, I just wanted to, to hand the snake back to this dude and to walk away. The reality is I'm, I'm putting yourself in a position to be used by God is terrifying. It's terrifying in the beginning. To talk to one of your coworkers about the love of Jesus when you've never done it before seems terrifying. Volunteering within a church to, to love on kids and to lead small groups and to teach them about Jesus seems absolutely terrifying if you've never done it. Loving people not knowing if they're going to receive it is terrifying. But when was the last time that you read in here that God called us to play and live a safe life? God bankrupted heaven by sending Jesus for you and I, for humanity. Knowing that there would be people who would reject it. There was risk. And I love this in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So 
Not so that we can sit around in a holy huddle. We can come to church and go home. He says, so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When we know that we are loved perfectly by our Heavenly Father, that he has placed us in families called the church, that he has equipped us with his Holy Spirit, that he's empowered us, that he's called us to live a life, and we actually take a step of faith out of our comfort zone to display that to the world around us. The word masterpiece, it's, it's almost this idea of a poem or like a musical piece, meaning lots of different things woven together in a beautiful tapestry. And what would the world look like if the church stepped up and took this posture of not just how we love one another here and serve one another here, but how we go out into the world willingly lay down our lives to model the love of Jesus so they can hear the love of Jesus. What would our homes, what would our, what our workplaces look like? What would our schools look like if we live this out? Because every day, it doesn't matter what it is, that people, people are always worth the risk. It's always worth the risk of embarrassment, it's always worth the risk of rejection, it's always worth the risk. Because if we fail a thousand times, but one person hears the message of the gospel and their eternity is changed, then it's worth it. But church, will you close with me in prayer today? Father, we thank you We thank you that there is nothing that we could do to earn your love. Because if we had to earn it, none of us would have it. But God, you so rich in mercy forgave us of our sins and didn't just say it, but displayed your love by sending Jesus to die on the cross in our place so that whoever confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that he raised from the dead will have eternal life. And when, when we believe that and we confess you as Lord and our life is changed and we walk through this life as sons and daughters of the King, to lay down our lives to serve other people, the world has changed as a process. So God, I pray you would give us that heart. To see the world as not something to conquer, but as something to serve. So that the hope that we have, others may find. The truth is that that journey of finding purpose, of finding hope, the beautiful thing is that everyone has the same starting place recognition of our need for Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you. Just God's word says, very simply, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that, that Jesus is the son of God, that he, that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. So everybody, 
head bowed and eyes closed, I just wanna lead you in a prayer. If you, if you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus today, if you wanna begin a relationship with the God who made you so that you may have life and have purpose, just quietly your seat, just repeat this prayer for me. Say, dear Jesus, God, I recognize my need for you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I don't know everything, but I know I need you. So God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you lived a perfect life. I believe that you were crucified. And on the third day, you rose from the grave. Today, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome rest of your week. If you prayed that prayer with us today for the very first time, please come tell us. We would love to celebrate with you. We have a gift for you, a Bible, a reading plan, but do not leave today without telling someone. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome week. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.